Last week, we, we talked about the, the value of Scripture, and we talked about the source of Scripture, and I just want to go through this very quickly. Uh, the source and inspiration of Scripture, we talked in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed uh, out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we discovered that the word of God is given by inspiration of God, that the word of God is from the beginning, that the word of God is established and will never pass away, and that the word of God will accomplish the purpose for which it is sent. So that's, what, that's in a nutshell, what we uh, looked at from Scripture last week. And if you go to the podcast uh, on, at clw.net, if you weren't here, you can listen to that message in its entirety, and it'll kind of catch you up to where we are today. While you are there, I want you to listen to last Wednesday night's champion series message, because Leroy, you brought it. It was, it was amazing, and it, it listen, uh, I don't always say that, even when folks, uh, well, I'm always humbled when I realize that God put people with a teaching gift in the house uh, in great, that is in greater measure than my own. I'm just amazed by what I heard Wednesday night and was just blessed by it. So I challenge you to listen to that. Uh, anyway, this morning we're going to look at the value of Scripture, the reason that Scripture should have high value in our lives. And, uh, and so I want to just, mm, I feel an anointing from the Lord, and I don't want to hurry past it and just start teaching and miss a moment in God. Can we just wait on the Lord for a minute before I do this? Lord, we praise you. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we glorify you. Lord was saying that, in this meeting that they've been in, that when you know Pentecostals come together uh, in these national meetings, she said that it frustrates me that there's no place given at times for just the wind of the Spirit to blow, for personal ministry, for encouragement, for strength, and and so. But I feel that this morning, and I don't want to hurry past it. I just still feel like there's a place where the Holy Spirit would minister and encourage on an individual basis, and I just don't want to hurry past it. And so we'll just wait on the Lord for a minute. Are you in a hurry? Hi, Jeannie. It's so good to see you, dear. I love you and Andrew. I'm so glad when you're here. Missed you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So we just want to be in the liberty of the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. There's always that element of people who go, oh my God, pastor's going to minister prophetically. Please don't let him call me out. <laughs> and then there's those others that are sitting there going, I need a word from God. It's usually the ones that are saying, please don't let him call me out, that, he, that, that the Lord actually picks on. The Lord would say to you that there are those that are sitting in this room this morning that you are spending time, the Lord says, in, in my presence. You're, you, you're praying. You're, you're saying to yourself, I've done everything I know to do to address the circumstances of my life. But the Lord says this one thing you lack. You are avoiding my word. You say to yourself, I, I don't, when I read the Bible, I don't understand it. When I, when I read the word, that it is a struggle for me to read. It is, uh, it is laborious to me. And the Lord says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And you need to learn to rest in my word. You need to learn to come and to absorb my word. And uh, you need to come and take my word like uh, morsels. Can you receive an instruction from the Lord? The Lord says you take my word like morsels, almost like uh, the word I'm hearing is appetizer. 
See, what we do is we make the mistake. I'm prophesying to you now, so just listen. Uh, we make the mistake of trying to eat the whole meal. You go to a banquet and you, have a, you want to have it all. But the Lord says, take a morsel and meditate on my word. That's taking little bits, little bits of his word and letting it settle in your spirit and, and meditating upon portions rather than just trying to, I'm going to read the book of Psalms today. Yeah, that's going to do you lots of good. No, I'm going to read a psalm today and I'm going to let it build me up and strengthen me. And so the Lord is saying, I want you to come and I want you to sit in my presence and I want you to partake of my word. It is everlasting. And when you partake of the everlasting, I will bring everlasting change. I will bring everlasting adjustment. I will bring everlasting freedom. I will bring everlasting healing when you come and you sit in my word. Now what we always tell you to do is, is make sure that you set a place in your home where you can spend time with the Lord and you open your Bible and you get a journal. You never go into the word without something to write with and you take a notepad and, and you take the scripture that the Lord gives you and you think on that and you meditate on that and you write down what the Lord shares with you about it because it helps you to absorb. When you, how many understand when you speak something, you should always read it out loud so you hear it with your ears. When you speak something, you absorb it. When you write it, you absorb it even more. It, it anchors into you more when you speak it and you write it and you read it. You're taking it in through your ear gate, through your eye gate, uh, and, and you're writing it and, and it begins to be written upon your heart. And, and, and folks don't understand that discipline to the word of God. Now, it's interesting that I'm talking about Scripture this morning and the Holy Spirit is dealing with this issue because it does me no good to, to preach to you about how wonderful the Scripture is and how important it is if you don't then know how to go home and apply that and receive out of it. So, I want to talk to you about, uh, there's one, two, three, four, five, six things here I want to talk to you about there's a great many more from Scripture about why the Scripture is important and why it should hold a high value in your life and, and why you should value Scripture. Uh, and, and we could just go on about this. We could literally talk about this for weeks and weeks and weeks. Last week, one of the things that we discovered is that the Word uh, became flesh and dwelt among us and that uh, in order for you to know Him, you have to know His Word. You cannot know God without knowing His Word. You will have a skewed picture of who God is if you do not know his word. Your view of who God is will be incorrect if you don't know his word. We find this in evangelism all the time. We have people that when we talk to someone about God and we ask them, what about this thing? What about, what about Jesus? And what about, well, I believe that God will just receive me because he loves me. Well, that's good that you believe that, but that's not exactly correct. So whether or not, it's not, it's not, uh, it's, it's not really great about what you believe if what you believe is not scripturally sound, right? So you can believe anything you want to believe, and there are a lot of people just going through life believing what they want to believe about God, but never comparing it to what God actually said about himself to find out if what they believe is really true. Am I scaring the baby? Pastor's getting loud. I better get the baby out of here. So it's vitally important that what we believe is actually scripturally sound. We're going to talk about, in a, in, a, in a couple of weeks, I think, rightly dividing the word. We're going to talk about the use of scripture. We're going to talk about how we appropriately uh, use scripture. 
John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40, Jesus was having a discussion with some of the religious leaders of his day. And this is what he said to them, and it was a word of correction. He said, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. He said, your motivation for searching the scripture, he's talking to religious leaders, he's talking about people who are actually trained in the word of God. They had biblical training. And he said, you search. You actually are giving yourself to this. You search the scriptures, you dig through them, and you seek to understand them because in them you think that you have eternal life. You think you have eternal life by searching the scriptures. And he said, the very thing that you are searching is the thing that testifies of me. The scripture that you are reading is talking, Jesus said, about me. And he's, this is what he said, but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. Boy, is that not where we're living today. All kinds of people out there who talk about God and will tell you this is what, well, I, th- I, think, I think God loves me. I think Jesus died for me. I think that it's, it's true that, uh, that, that God is there, and I, and, and I'm, but I'm not worried about that because I'm a good person. But that's not what Scripture said was the basis for receiving eternal life. So Jesus said to them, you you search the Scriptures, you have all these things you think about God, but you're not willing to come to the source of eternal life. You know what that is? That's pride. I I don't, what? I have to actually bow my knee? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is, well, I have to actually, you want me to bow down to him? Well, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up. That's what the word says. Oh, I I never read that. No, you, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, but you're not willing to come to the source of life. The scripture says that Jesus was the cornerstone, and the cornerstone became to some a stumbling block and a rock of offense. They became offended in him. The world is offended in Jesus right now because you go out there and you tell them he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to salvation. There is no other way to God but through the door, Jesus Christ, and they're, oh, you can't say that. Well, On the contrary, I can. Because Jesus said it of himself. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He either told the truth or he lied. That's really deep, isn't it? That is deep spiritual understanding. He was either telling the truth when he spoke of himself or he was lying. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the access to the presence of God. So, Scripture, Scripture speaks of Jesus. It is the witness of Jesus. This is the witness of Jesus. So first and foremost, you must, if you tell Jesus you love him, you need to know what's in here. Because there's some things about him that, quite honestly, make me uncomfortable. I don't like everything this book says. <gasps> That's sacrilegious. No, it's not. It's just honest truth. I think he's big enough to handle the fact that I don't like everything he said. He didn't ask my permission. He said it. There are some things that speak of Jesus The Bible says that the Apostle Paul literally wrote of things that were hard to understand and hard to absorb. Hard for us to get our heads around. There's some things about God that people just plain out don't like. Judgment and justice and correction. Not popular things, particularly. The whole whole issue of discipleship 
based, you know, the root word of discipleship is discipline. Give me a break. So we run into this situation where there are some things about Jesus that have the potential to be offensive to the believer or to the, un- to the unbeliever, to the, to the person, to, to all of us in general. There are some things about God that have the potential to, to be offensive. He doesn't care. God didn't care if he offended you. Oh, I'm going to get myself in trouble. The scripture says that the cornerstone, he became the chief cornerstone, but to some, that became a stumbling block and a rock of offense. And there are people who will not discuss Jesus with you because the very sound of his name is offensive to them. It's okay. Keep speaking Jesus. But the manifestation of Christ is through the word. John 14, 21, Jesus said, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. He who follows my instruction, it is, it is he who loves me. If, so, so if Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do the things that I say, and we say, oh, I love you, Jesus, but we don't take time to find out the things that he said. I was, I was with the doctor one time uh, since we're, we've been on that subject this morning, I, I was a little, little short doctor that I was with, and, and uh, she, it was physical time, this was five or six years ago, and um, my cholesterol was really high at that, uh, in that time, and she said, you're a Christian. This is what she said to me, blew me away. She put her hands on her hips. I was like, good Lord, don't make this lady mad. She will, <laughs> she will take you out. Little old, she's a little elderly woman. She goes, you're a Christian. I hadn't told her that I was. And I said, yes. And she said, so you read the Bible? And she said, yes. She goes, eat like it. (laughs) Eat like it. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, Christians should not have high cholesterol. If they would eat the way that the Bible says to eat, they wouldn't have it. I was like, floored. I was like, whoa, I've never been preached to in the doctor's office before. She was asking me if I was eating shrimp and all that unclean stuff, you know, bottom feeder stuff, and I was. (laughs) It was good. (laughs) But it wasn't good for me. Anyway, she goes, stay away from that stuff. It's not healthy, you know. So she goes, eat like the Bible says to eat, okay? The manifestation of Christ through the word. Jesus said, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved of my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. What does manifest mean? Show? Are you following that? A person who loves me will learn what I've said, do what I said, and when they do what I said, I will show myself to to him or her. Now this is what the Bible says that when we see him we become like him. Great many people who have received Jesus for the purpose of salvation receive the forgiveness of sin but have no interest in becoming like him. Hey y'all are quiet. There's a great many people in the, in, the, in the church world today, in the Christian culture, particularly the Western world Christian culture today, wants to receive Jesus for the purpose of forgiveness of sin because nobody wants to go to hell, but have no intention whatever of becoming like him because that actually requires knowing him at a whole different level. That actually requires positioning ourselves for him to manifest himself to us. And when he manifests himself to us, we become like him. We, we, because it, it, the Bible says, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. When you see him as he is, you become like him. Okay, that, that is an expression of what scripture does. When we see him as he is, then he manifests himself to us. But it comes through that great discipline word that Jesus said is obedience. 
He loves me, so he does the things that I say. I always tell my kids that. Don't tell me you love me if you're going to disobey me. You disobey me, you don't love me. That really goes a long ways. I love it. Okay, so the value of Scripture first is that it is the witness of Jesus. The next thing is in Romans chapter 10 and 17, uh, the Scripture builds faith in the believer. So then faith, uh, Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. That is, that is in the King James Version. That's the way that that uh, Scripture is stated in the King James Version. What it says uh, Let me me give you another translation. So then faith comes from hearing the message, and the message comes through the preaching of the Word of God. Faith comes through hearing the preaching of the Word of God. It's confusing to me. I don't like being yelled at. I I don't know about all these preachers who are so loud and obnoxious like this guy. But nevertheless, faith is built up through hearing the Word of God. Julia will tell you that whenever she decided that, that she needed to really develop a relationship with Jesus all of her own, and, and she said, she come, you know, you get to a certain age and you realize you're not going to heaven because mom and daddy are, and you're not going to have a close relationship with Jesus because mom and dad do, that you've got to do something about this on your own. She went down and she bought us, she was delivering pizza and going to school in those days, and she went down and bought a set of CDs that are, uh, that are, that are the, the whole King J- the whole Bible, and and they're done in, uh, in uh, an artsy way, you know, with different voices and all that. They get actually read, the scripture gets read to you uh, with uh, different voices and, and characters and, and all of this. So she bought this. It was quite an investment for her. And she put those CDs in her car and she listened to the word everywhere she went. If you are the kind of individual who has difficulty reading, then listen. There are other ways than sitting and reading. And God designed us all differently. Some of us learn visually. Some of us learn audibly. And however you learn, find that avenue to receive the word of God. I happen to like really good, I I happen to like really good preaching. I'm not saying I'm doing any, but I happen to like really good preaching, so I listen to those who are teaching the Word. It's wonderful. But the Word, faith comes by hearing the Word. Faith comes by absorbing. This is why I say to those of you that read, read out loud, because it's coming in through your eyes and through your ears. Double down. Faith comes through hearing the message. The message comes through the preaching of the word of God. And then, so so then the next thing that I want to uh, point out to you is faith moves the believer to transformation. How many can, how how many of you, I'm not asking you to tell me your deep, dark secrets, but how many of you can say with me, there's some areas of my life that could use some transformation? There's just some areas of my life that, that could be different. There's some things about me that, that the word of God has the ability to change. We're going from, see, God receives us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. He loves me just like I am, but he don't want me to be like I am when I'm entering in. He wants me to have addressed some issues in my life, right? Okay, so... The word moves the believer to transformation. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed. I love that word. Listen, do not be conformed. That, that passage says, to the pattern of this world. In other words, believers, it's time for us to decide. I'm telling you, I, I am growing weary of being in a Christian culture that looks like the world talking to myself too. I'm growing weary of being in a Christian culture, and particularly, I'm preaching in the United States, so I'll preach to the the United States, right? I'm called to this nation. This This is my mission field, and we're in a mess, culturally speaking, as believers, because 
Because of the way that we have preached grace, we've preached that grace allows us to live the way we want to live. In all actuality, grace strengthens us to live like Jesus. That's what grace is supposed to do. It's supposed to be an empowering strength to walk in the earth like God walks, to live in the earth like God lives, to think in the earth like God thinks. Now, now wonderful that his grace is sufficient, but when we are living in patterns of sin, we're not living at the level of his grace. We're living at the level of his mercy. Let's come up a little higher. His mercies are new every morning. Let's live in the strength of his grace, not in the power of his mercy. Hmm. I could preach on that, but I better get on down the road. The word is designed to move the believer to transformation. So he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Bible says that the anointing of the Lord breaks every yoke of bondage. Well, I want to help you with something. Every yoke of bondage that exists for the believer exists between his ears. Do you understand that? You're not held by a power, uh, addiction, uh, all of those things that, that, that hold us in places of, of torment and in places of turmoil. All of those things... All of the transformation that needs to take place in those areas of life, all of those strongholds are between our ears. If we renew our mind through the power of the Spirit of God and through the Word of God, those strongholds are broken through the anointing that comes in the renewing of the mind. Every person who is locked into patterns of sin, myself included, every area of my life that, that uh, needs to be transformed, all of that needs to take place through the power of the transforming word of God. So he says, don't be conformed. Don't follow the patterns of the world. There's a point in life when we're coming to freedom that... that not conforming to the patterns of this world becomes a very difficult process. How many of you have ever just walked out of something and went, oh, I am not going down that road again. And it's really work. But grace strengthens us for that process. There is some self-discipline associated with it. But grace strengthens us for that process. How many understand that once you have even a small victory, and you stay with it, the next time the victory is easier than the last time. Overcoming actually becomes easier as we move to places of strength and maturity in the scripture and, in, and, and through the spirit. So, but that transformation must take place through a decision on our part to have our mind renewed so that we are transformational, not conforming. I think it's so funny. I, I wonder how much I want to dabble with this. When I meet someone, and, and um, particularly young people, I'm going to pick on you for a little bit, college and, and uh, high school and all that. Yeah, I know, I know Angela. Angela's like high school. Um, and how challenging it is, particularly for this generation, how challenging it is to be different than their culture. It is, it is hard. I'm telling you something. My, my little guys in elementary school, we have to help them just in, just in the way that we dress them to send them to school so they're not tortured when they get there. It's horrifying. And it's important. Parents, don't, don't tell your kids that they don't, that you don't, don't absent yourself from the process when you send them to school. Prepare, do your best to prepare. I understand not everybody, uh, please, I'm not telling you go buy the $125 shoes for your kids. That's not what I'm suggesting. 
What I'm suggesting is that you consider what's appropriate and you don't put them in a position where they're going to be tormented if you don't have to. That you help them. That's just parenting 101. We, that's not today's subject by any means. But it is a challenge for me when I see young people, particularly in a college age, who, who need so bad to fit in. And it is, it, is a, it is a serious issue of our day when we need to fit in. And the Bible says don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. And so you're like, well, now, why exactly did you dye your hair purple and, and put three piercings in your nose? Uh, well, I want to be different. No, you're not being different. You're fitting in. And I'm not picking on anybody. If your hair is purple, God bless you. I'm not, please, don't misunderstand me. I'm not going to go down a clothesline preaching message here. What I'm saying is, the Bible says don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. When the Apostle Paul was talking to the ladies of, uh, of, of the day in uh, the scriptures, he, he actually said to them, don't dress like the prostitutes. That's what he said. Don't, you know, when he was talking to them about the braiding of their hair and the mixing of particular fabrics, what he was telling them was don't dress like, don't, don't dress like the world. Don't look like you're a working woman. That's what he said. That's what he said to them. You understand that that's what he was saying to them. It's not that it's a sin to braid your hair. I've heard people preach on that stuff. It's ridiculous. What he was saying to them was don't try to fit into this culture. Let the glory of the Lord shine in your life. Try, try to look different. Try to be the believer that you are in the culture that you live in. So rather than blending in, stand out. Boy, that's deep spiritual truth. So I just said all that to say this. The, the, the scripture moves a believer to transformation. The Bible challenges us not to be conformed, but to be transformed. We're in a culture where people are supposed to look at us and wonder what's different about us. They can't do that if we just blend in. They won't do that if we just blend in. You're not supposed to blend in. You're supposed to shine. Now that happens in the natural and in the spirit. There's a drawing to you. There's already a drawing to you if Jesus is in you. People are already looking at you and going, what's What's different about you? Well, just get comfortable with you're different. And the, the darker the days go and the greater that grace abounds in the earth because sin is abounding in the earth, the more different you're going to become. It's, gonna, it's becoming more and more obvious. There, there's no such thing as secret agents in God. Okay? You just are not going to be able to pull that one off. Just get comfortable with the fact that you're a believer and you're just going to shine and it's going to show. Um, Linda was, was talking to me a while back when some of the believers, I don't remember what country it was in, that, that Muslims were killing Christians and they were going along and they were, if they heard that, that the people who lived in that house was, were, were believers, they went and they spray painted a mark on their wall. They're marked for death because they're a believer. And she said she was praying over them and she was praying, Lord, uh, keep them safe. And Lord, uh, you know, it's almost like don't let them be found out or something because, because they're in danger. And, and out of compassion, she was praying for them and the Holy Spirit said, all of my people are marked. The Holy Spirit's response to that when she's praying for their safety and, and the... the, the um, those who were after the lives of believers were coming and spray painting markings on their wall. Well, what happened in Egypt when God was bringing them out? He said, put the blood over the doorpost. Mark yourself. Well, come on, mark yourself. Stand out in the culture. Be transformational. Don't be conformed to this world that we live in. Go ahead and mark yourself. You understand that? You're marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit. 
Just go ahead and mark yourself. world already doesn't like you because they feel that anointing in your life, so just go with it. Oh, God's, God, God's doing, can I prophesy to you for a minute, church? God's doing something in this city, but the only way that he's going to fulfill the things that he wants to fulfill and bring the move of God that he wants to bring into the earth is when believers decide to stand up and be different and be marked and, and, and stand up and let the light shine and let the voice of God be heard in the earth when believers are bold in the streets and, and cease to buy into this idea that, that what you believe is okay for you and what I believe is okay for me. It's a curse. And God wants to move in our culture, but the way that he will move in our culture is when he moves through believers that are willing to be public and willing to be marked. Well, fortunately, we're Pentecostal and we're marked by the presence and the giftings of the Holy Spirit and you can just let it flow. Get on down to the grocery store and start laying hands on the sick and start telling people that Jesus loves them and get over there and just do the stuff of ministry and and go to work and let the voice of the Lord be heard. There's somebody in your workplace that is so empty and so broken and they need to know that Jesus loves them and they need you to be bold enough to tell them. They're going through life looking for answers and you've got the answer. Well, the word of God in you will become transformational for you first and then for those that are around you. Next thing, when it becomes transformational, then the word brings freedom. John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples. Now listen to this, listen to this. If you abide in my word, you're my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. This is, this is the great challenge for me. See, see we're, we're, we're Pentecostal and we're spirit-filled and we love the laying on of hands. It's all scriptural. We, we don't push you down, but if you go down, we celebrate. We love the power of the moving of the Spirit of God in the midst of the believer. We, we embrace that and, and, and we rejoice in that. But let me help you with something. If you are in bondage, there are some areas of bondage. I can lay hands on you until my hand falls off and nothing will change because it's only the truth that changes and transforms your thinking that will set you free. So I can lay hands on you until we all turn blue, but the reality of it is that the truth sets you free. The truth. Well, how does that happen? Jesus said to those that were believing in him, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Well, the way to come to that level of freedom is to know the truth. So don't listen. You you young people that are in this room today, come up to me and tell me that you don't understand the Bible when you read it. I will slap you upside your head. Get a notepad and sit down and unpack what you read. You've been taught how to do that at school. They've taught you to, to do book reports. So you write down, this is what, when, when, when I read this, this is what it meant. That you've studied history and they've asked you to read what historians have written and to unpack what they meant. Well, this is a book full of history. You can read what God said and you can, with your notepad and your paper and the mind that he gave you, you can unpack what he said and you can come to a place of understanding. Stop telling yourself a lie. The Holy Spirit is in you, and you didn't get baby Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came into you, you got the fullness of the Godhead bodily indwelling you. He can teach you, and you can learn. Anything that I can learn, you can learn. Believe me, if I can learn it, if I can do this, anybody can do this. The Bible said that he made this so simple. Walking with God is not complicated. It's high risk sometimes. 
in fact, if we're going to do what God calls us to do, it's always high risk. But high risk is not complicated. It's not complicated to walk with God. He said, he, the Bible says, he made it so simple that even the simple-minded individual could successfully walk with God. Well, he did that because he was calling me. He had to do that if he was going to call me. It's not complicated to walk with God. It's not complicated to know him. But if we're not going to give ourselves to the discipline of the word of God, we're not going to know him. So it brings freedom. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So if you find in your life an area, of, an area of bondage, an area of struggle, it is in that area that you need transformation. So it is in that area that you need to search out the scriptures and come to a place of freedom there. Particularly if you have an area of bondage or area of struggle in your mind. Uh, in, in, uh, let, let's just take, for instance, if you have uh, uh, anxiety then what you need to do, if we've laid hands on you and you haven't come to a place of freedom through the laying on of hands, then it's more than the fact that you're just being chased around by an evil spirit. You need to change your thinking. How do you do that? You get out your Bible and you find out what the Bible says about anxiety. It says a lot about anxiety. The Bible says a lot about fear. So if you have that sense of terror that overtakes you, then go into the scripture and learn what, discover for yourself what the scripture says about it and deal with it from this point as well as dealing with the spirit of it. You can, through the word, drive out the spirit without anyone laying hands on you. Kick the devil to the curb. But you don't, you see, we, we think today just we, rebuking the devil makes him go away. Well, the Bible says rebu that you rebuke him and he'll flee from you. But what it says first is submit yourself, therefore, unto God. Submit yourself, therefore. Submit yourself to the instruction. Obey the instruction. Do what the book says. Then resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You can resist him all day long, but if you're not submitted to the word of God, if you're not submitted to the process of freedom, if you're not submitted to the disciplines of the word of God, you can just, submit, you can just resist, 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 and go, why doesn't this work for me? So the word brings freedom. The word is the witness of Jesus. The word builds faith in the believer. The word moves the believer to transformation, and the word brings freedom. The next thing that is important to say is the word is the source of God's wisdom. God's wisdom. Now, how many understand there's all kinds of wisdom and truth? There's, uh, how many understand that there's, there's other truth in the earth than what is written in here? The Bible doesn't talk about if you go stick your finger in a light socket, you're going to get lit up but that's true, right? You understand what I mean? There's truth. Unscrew one of these bulbs and stick your finger in there while the switch is on and you will feel the effects of electricity. It's not described in here in that sense. That's truth. But what he's talking about is when, when he says, in all of your getting, get wisdom. He's talking about the wisdom of God. This is, this is the things where in my life now as, as a father and as a husband and as a, uh, as a leader in, in the kingdom of God and, and in working with others who are trying to follow God and walk with God, I have all kinds of places in my life where I, say, where I can say today, I wish I would have known then what I know now. How many of you can say that? I wish I had known. There's some things I wish I had known several years ago that I know today. Don't worry about it. Now that you know it, apply it. The scripture is the source of God's wisdom. Luke 2 and 52. Jesus, the Bible says Jesus, listen to this, Jesus was born like you and I. So the scripture says Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. If Jesus increased in wisdom, how many understand that we need to? 
He's our example. We need to do in our lives what he did in his. We need to increase in wisdom. Wait a minute. I thought when Jesus was born, he knew it all. No. He was born human. Get that in your mind. Sinless, human. He had to grow in wisdom just like we do. If he didn't have to experience life like we're experiencing life, then he can't understand us. And the reason that he was sent here was so that there was an identity between he and us. That's why now we have a high priest who is easily touched by the feelings of our infirmity because he knows what it feels like to be weak. He knows what it feels like to be tired. He knows what it feels like to be tempted. He knows what it feels like to be angry. He knows what it feels like to be mad. He knows what it feels like to be happy, joyful. He knows all of that whole range and gamut of emotions. He understands that because he experienced it. He knows what it feels like to be thirsty and hungry and alone. And in a crowd when you wish you were alone. <laughs> Proverbs 4 and 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Boy, is that not deep. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. In all of your getting, get understanding. And then the other thing that has to be said of, of the reason that we need to value Scripture little thing called sanctification. And we don't talk about this a lot. Probably need to talk about it far more than we do. Sanctification is simply the cleansing of the believer. That's what, you know, I'll just define it for you in simplicity. Sanctification is the cleansing of the believer. Well, I thought that happened at the, well, yes, that happened at the cross. Jesus died for your sins. You go to the cross, you say, forgive me my sin. The blood is applied to your sin, and God no longer looks, as, looks at you and sees guilty. God does not look at you and see guilty. Then, Jesus goes and he prays for his followers. Those who will have received the application of the blood that he shed on the cross. He goes in John chapter 17 and he prays for us and he says, Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. So what we don't talk about quite often is that the believer needs to continually be washed. Cleansed through the word. You know why? Because you're not perfect yet. <laughs> right? I'm certainly not. Ask my wife. She's not here to tell you, but you can call her. She'll talk to you about it for a minute. Sanctify them. Jesus prayed for us. Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. Now listen. Ephesians 5, the last part of verse 25 through verse 27 says it this way. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Why did he give himself for it? That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. So when I ask the Lord to forgive me of my sin, he forgave me of my sin, and then he instructed me to go into the word and get the sin removed from my life. The patterns of sin, the patterns of iniquity, the patterns of attitude, bad attitude, the patterns that I have of bitterness and of hatred and of uh, uh, the, the patterns that I have uh, that... that separate me from others, the patterns that I have that cause me to be the imperfect vessel that I am, there is a process in Christ through the word of God that is supposed to wash that out of my life. And he's patient and long-suffering and not willing that any should perish, so he's willing to take the time. The things that produce hatred and prejudice and, and bitterness and all of that stuff in the earth that should not exist between us, his word will take it out of us. 
I'm going to tell you that the, the, Jesus, and Christianity, the most liberating, equalizing experience in the face of the earth because everyone comes, whosoever will may come. Listen, Jesus liberated women. Jesus leveled the playing field for all of us to give us access to the Father. He didn't ask you if you were rich or poor, if you were ugly or pretty. Thank God. He just said, whosoever will may come. Whosoever will may come. So Christ loved the church, in Ephesians chapter 5 it says, and gave himself for it that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of the water through the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. A church not having spiritual imperfection. Are we there yet? We're on a journey. but that it should be holy and without blemish. Do you understand when God's talking about this kind of sanctification, he's talking about removing from our lives patterns, literal, literal, listen, this is practical word. This is not spiritual stuff. This is practical word. He's trying to get the stuff that destroys you and destroys your children out of your life. He's trying to get the stuff that hurts you generationally. Oh, daddy was this way, mama was this way, I'm this way, now that little kid's got what I had. And he's, no. The word will get that out of you and out of the generations. You don't have to have the bad attitude mama had. You don't have to have the bondage daddy had. You don't have to have the things that existed in your family generationally that robbed and killed and destroyed their lives. You don't have to have it. I, I'm very upfront with my kids about stuff like that. I tell them, Grandpa was an alcoholic, Uncle was an alcoholic, Big Brother was an alcoholic, stay away from that stuff. You don't have to have those, those bondages because the Word will bring you to freedom. If you've had those bondages, listen, parents, stop expecting your children to make the mistakes you made. Stop. Stop. I was teaching one time, and and, and we had prayer afterwards, and it was a family kind of thing, and and somebody came forward for prayer, and this guy says, pray for my kids. This this man and woman was saying, pray for my kids, because I I know they're going to sow their wild oats, just like we did. Well, there's no reason to pray. You just made your declaration. And, and the one I need to be praying for is not your children. I need to be casting some unbelief out of you. Stop expecting your children to fail. Say, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And have a conversation with your kids about what that looks like. And begin to move in that process toward the service of the Lord. Let the word transform your life. Because the plan is that he will present to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. The word is the sanctifying, cleansing agent. James 1.23 says that if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer of it, boy, I'm preaching to myself now, he is like a man who observes himself, his, his face in a mirror. He looks at himself, and then he goes away, and he immediately forgets what he looks like. Looks at himself in the mirror, and he goes away. And later, he's thinking, man, I'm just looking snappy. And then he passes by a mirror, and he goes, whoa. <laughs> Who's that guy? Forgets about those wrinkles and blemishes. The word points out to us, listen, this is, this is the reason most believers don't want to read the word, because it points out to us our imperfections. 
because it literally points out to us our imperfections. It shows us how we don't look like him. It shows us how we don't act like him. It shows us how we don't think like him. It shows us how we don't behave like him. It shows us how we don't respond like him. All this stuff that's going on in the world we're living in today, all the stuff that just happened in Dallas, all the stuff that's happening in the streets of Fresno, God help us, all of the stuff that's going on would not be going on if we were looking at life the way he sees it. None of that would be happening. We wouldn't be hating each other for the color of our skin. We wouldn't be, uh, we wouldn't be uh, worried about uh, black lives or white lives and all this stuff. We wouldn't have to be worried about that stuff if we were thinking like Jesus in the earth. We'd be loving one another and building one another up and encouraging one another and embracing the unlovable. We wouldn't be fearing one another. But the culture, that, the culture, the Christian culture that we live in has become one of observing ourselves in a mirror and walking away and forgetting what we look like rather than being changed. For he observes himself, verse 24 says, he goes away, he immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, he who's willing to continue to look at his own imperfections, he who's willing, who's willing to continue to acknowledge his own shortcomings, he who is willing to continue to look into the perfect law of liberty and see where he doesn't fit. You see, I'm not measuring myself against anybody else in this room. I'm, measuring, I'm trying to measure myself against Jesus. Thank you. You must have heard me cracking. My voice gets really messed up when 12 o'clock hits and I'm still preaching. <laughs> he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work. Listen to this promise. This one will be blessed in all that he does. So we as believers, in order to be blessed in all that we do, we see, we, we, we think we come to Jesus, we think we come to Jesus and because we come to Jesus and we receive the salvation and the forgiveness of sin, we think we're blessed. Well, that is a blessing. Don't get me wrong. You guys are all sighing relief. I moved that out of the way, huh? <laughs> Doesn't mean I'm stopping, no. Um, we think that we're blessed because we came to Jesus. But the Bible says we're blessed when we begin to honor his word. That guy's blessed. That... The way of the transgressor is hard. The person who says, oh, Jesus, come and forgive me of my sin, but then he determines that he's not going to live a life that looks anything like Jesus. That's a hard life. I'm a really terrible evangelist because I tell people, don't come unless you mean it. Mm. I was just talking to somebody about that the other day. Don't come unless you mean it. Don't say, Jesus, forgive me my sin and then, and, then, and then determine that you don't want to walk with him. You're making your life hard. Listen, there are pleasures associated with sin and you can go have fun and go right on to hell. There's disciplines associated with walking with God. It's called the narrow way for a reason. I'm tired of evangelism that, that acts like everything that, that when you come to God is just all going to be peachy. It's the narrow way for a purpose. But all the reward far outweighs the discipline, the challenge. The gift of God that is eternal life, that the, the joys of walking with God far outweigh any challenge. Scripture is a witness of Jesus. It builds faith in the believer. It moves the believer to transformation. It brings freedom. It's a source of God's wisdom. And it is for the believer the source of continual cleansing. 
we need to recognize that we need that. We need to buy into that. We need to step into that. We need to be willing to make that declaration and be determined in that, even if, if the rest of the Christian culture doesn't want anything to do with that at all. Let us be the kind of people that say that's what we want. We want his word to cleanse us, make us look like him, act like him, think like him, walk like him, talk like him.